Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil sends the beast with wrath, because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. Oh. Music and murder contains violence, oh. profanity, oh. and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs. Oh. Parental advisory is definitely recommended. Well, hello. Guess who? Satan! Nope. I'm just another mortal like all of you. My name is Michael D. Keeney, and I'm your host for this adventure that we call Music and Murder. And this particular episode is number 19. Yes, we're almost at number 20. And by the way, I was saving number 20 for a very horrific case that I've been waiting for, but now number 20 has become part two to this one. I hate doing that part two shit, but man, this story just kept going on and on and on. In this episode, we will explore how homicide and sexual assaults are a lot like cocaine, meth, and heroin. And also, in my case, guitars and pedal boards. God, you should see my new two-piece 100-pound pedal board. It is literally fucking amazing. D-A-S, which means dope-ass shit. Came up with that all on my own, so if you hear it, you're welcome. Now back to the current episode, I believe that it's time to introduce you guys, and mostly ladies, at least for those of you that have never heard of them, to the story of Carla Homoka and Paul Bernardo. And even if you do know who they are, let's just say that unless you're a real crime junkie, and no, I'm not talking about the boring-ass fake fucking podcast, I don't think you actually really do know them. Not unless you spent the entire last month researching them like I did. Not to sound overly sure of myself, but I likely know everything about this couple now. You see, they were the first serial killers that I ever studied in detail around 15 years ago. I even wrote a song about them called Goodbye that I'm actually going to play at the end of this episode. Well, maybe in the middle. I don't know. So real quick, I have a retraction to make about episode number 9, the Dimebag Daryl episode. He was not shot and killed to the song that I thought that he was shot and killed to, which was called Newfound Power. He was actually shot and killed to a song called Breathing New Life. So, okay, now to the main event. Please sit back, relax, and learn something about serial killer and rapists, Carla and Paul Bernardo, two very evil and sinister fucked up people. That got me into studying this crazy, evil, and vile shit. Pardon me for the rain. I live in California, so it's just like raining crazy outside. I guess for us Californians, we're going to be able to see this year if we can actually K 
catch everything on fire in the state like we usually do and flood all at the same time. I guess we'll just have to just wait and see. So, get into episode 19. Have you ever jerked off, came, and then thought, what the fuck was I thinking watching that shit? Or maybe, while you were turned on, you watched some really disgusting porn and turned it off as fast as you possibly could once you came and asked yourself, what the fuck is wrong with me? Well, the answer is nothing. We're all programmed to think about very bad things to help induce an orgasm. Gangbangs stem from the roots of procreating, meaning if a girl has several guys come in her, she is more likely to get pregnant just in case one is shooting blanks. And the fetish of watching men ejaculate all over everything and anything, and especially in every orifices, is also related to procreation. It all, in one way or another, relates to procreation. Even scenes of rape and bondage. If a woman or participant is unwilling to have sex, forcing that person to have sex still instills the possibility that that person can get pregnant, right? It doesn't mean that it should happen. These are primitive thoughts that stem back to a time where humans could be extinct during any given winter. Think Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. So a lot of this has to do, a lot of, a lot of this weird sexual desire stuff does have more to do with procreation than you would think. Just saying, it doesn't make people completely a fucking weirdo. Also, have you ever thought about the word horny in its own right? Horny, it means to think devilish or unpure thoughts, right? That's the reason why it's called horny and not haley, like having a hail over your head. Thoughts of getting caught, people watching you, fucking strangers, even incestual thoughts at some level can be brought back to the roots of keeping the human race alive. If incest never occurred, it's likely that the human race wouldn't be here today. And you can believe the truth, or you can say gross and go back to your fake-ass, plastic world of false beliefs and say this guy is crazy, but the truth is real. It is the truth, right? And sometimes it's not always pretty proper, and definitely acceptable, especially in today's world. And trust me, I don't think that any of this is acceptable just because I'm bringing up facts. I don't think it's acceptable. I don't think it's right in any way, shape, or form. I just really don't care about discussing reality if it's reality. It should be discussed, right? I'm merely kicking knowledge that I've learned about sexual deviancy throughout many, many years of research, which consists of a lot more than watching a season of Snapped or Forensic Files. My thesis that I'm writing for grad school is about the risk assessment and guilt versus shame amongst sex offenders. I am doing both quantitative and qualitative research because I want to help lock these fuckers up and keep them away from our kids. I hope that that makes just a little bit of sense. 
Now back to the forbiddenness of many unacceptable paraphilias, or in layman terms, dangerous sexual desires, fantasies, and preferences. Now think back to the time of Adam and Eve, especially if you believe in a biblical, a biblical creation of this planet and our species. Can you begin the world with just two people and reproduce and procreate until there's eight billion of us without incest ever occurring? Use your brain on that. Two people turn into eight billion people without incest. At least if you have a brain, you should be able to figure that it obviously occurred quite a lot. It's impossible if it didn't. If the Bible holds any truth to our roots at all, incest occurred many, many, many times, like it or not. Now, personally, I don't believe in any of that, though, as far as like the biblical sense and the Adam and Eve and all that. I believe that we were engineered and put here on Earth by a more superior, smarter, technological species. And we were an experiment that went terribly wrong, but that's good old op optimistic me. That's just me thinking optimistic as always, but that's what I truly believe. Not that it fucking matters, so you don't have to listen to that. However, no matter what you believe or what you were brainwashed into thinking when you were young, where these deviant sexual thoughts go awry and get unhealthy is when they begin to include the infliction of pain, blood, rape, and fear, amongst others. If you jerk off to this type of shit, even when it's just in your head, you are most definitely a bit fucked up. However, if you begin acting out these fantasies and they ultimately manifest into real life scenarios, you're likely going to be incarcerated at some point and you may, you may end up on the wrong end of these fantasies. Because you see, what goes around does come around pun completely intended 100 percent you want to rape people especially children chances are you're likely going to get raped yourself or at least shanked in your neck in a prison cell which i see absolutely no problem with whatsoever the world could use less people like this and sometimes people do deserve to die we all choose our own destinies in one way or another. If you can't control your urges, there is help. You can get a psychiatrist to work with you. You can also attend help and support groups. You can also castrate yourself. And if you still can't control yourself and you feel the need to sexually rape and hurt people, especially children, suicide is always an option because even though that sounds bad, I would rather have you or anybody else kill yourself before you go rape a kid. And if you have a problem with that, hey, have a problem. I don't give a fuck. And I mean, like, literally, I don't give a fuck. You're better off dead than hurting and raping children. I know it's harsh, but it's the truth. Every single story of rape or any sexual act that results in murder or the infliction of pain always begins with the fantasy portion, right? I've never heard of 
anyone hurting or killing anyone before they were fantasizing about it while masturbating or while having sex. Suddenly, the fantasies aren't enough. These individuals eventually need to act out the real deal, at least most of the time. Now, these fantasies really tend to come to life when you have a sexual partner that's into the same fucked up shit as you are. Couples such as this, friends such as this, but more couples is what we're talking about right now, tend to feed off each other's deviant desires. And it always has to get worse and worse and worse to please and satisfy them. It's like shooting up meth or heroin together. It also justifies in their minds that they realize that there are others just like them as well. Thus, it can't be that bad, right? If I want to go rape somebody and my old lady wants to rape somebody with me, that just really justifies that, right? It kind of makes a little sense. Hey, it can't be that bad. But guess what? It fucking is. I don't care if you have a group of people, thousands of people. I don't care if the whole world decides that it's okay to rape people. If that's the case, they should all be fucking shot. Because raping people is not a joke, and it is not anything that should ever occur. Say you've been together with this partner that I was speaking about, and you either are jerking off together or fucking one another, and you're extremely turned on, and you're both about to come, and you blurt out, I want to kill and fuck a virgin with you. And your partner, rather than seems disgusted by this, throws their clothes on and leaves you, or gives you a look of dismay or something. No, they actually begin to kiss you more passionately and this obviously turns them on immensely. So where does it go from there? What happens now? Well, I'll tell you. It usually starts with talking about it more and more while you're both turned on until something very, very bad happens. Can you guess what that something may be? That something is that is no longer just pillow talk. You and your partner will begin discussing raping and killing a virgin over coffee in public or on the phone or via text message. Now after this begins, there is likely a possibility that the opportunity will present itself because people are everywhere. It just may likely happen. And if it does happen once, well let's just say that once this happens, it's kind of like taking a torch to a glass pipe and taking that very first hit of meth. You know, the one that makes your head fill with euphoria and excitement, optimism, and positive thoughts. 
and you begin to feel invincible and that anything is possible and then you want to feel like this forever and ever I know I know most of you haven't smoked meth at least maybe today yet but you know it's kinda like that once is never enough and you'll only need more 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 you can't unsmoke meth you can't unsee rape and torture and you cannot change what turns you on nothing in this world can change what turns you on except for death and for Paul Bernardo excuse me let, let me say that a little more clearer for Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka it was never enough after their first time discussing raping a virgin and like them once any couple is able to talk plainly about such things suddenly nothing becomes too taboo to discuss you can literally tell your partner in detail about any any anything that turns you on and if you being turned on in turn turns them on they will help you do whatever you want to do maybe even drug rape and kill their own flesh and blood but now we're getting a little ahead of ourselves so strike that from my testimony okay jury yeah like we can ever unsee or hear anything didn't we just go over that the human mind is meant to work against us all if we really want to forget about something our mind works against us and makes sure that we never forget it I use that in school a lot I, I, I like will read something and I'll be like make sure to forget about that otherwise you're gonna die and every fucking day I'll remember it it's so awful it's like trying to get to sleep when you have to get up early right that's the night you're not gonna sleep there are exceptions when the human mind just blocks out anything that it can not accept as a coping and survival mechanism however as adults or even later adolescents this is extremely rare and usually only occurs in children around the age of five or so probably in my mind I'd probably say more like three or under but everybody's different we are biological beings right not robots yet give it a few years as I said earlier I'm in the middle of doing my thesis on risk assessment of sex offenders what risk assessment is is the possibility or rather probability of their reoffending recidivism is actually what we call it and let me tell you even though I like to think of this show as the Wild West and nothing needs to be unsaid or uncensored or excuse me unsaid or censored I wouldn't tell any of you in a million years some of the shit that I have had to fucking read 
and deal with as far as diving deep into the minds of the most violent sexual offenders and what they think about when they jerk off. Let's just say that Satan himself would probably gag. People can be great, loving, helpful to mankind, and all around empathetic, thus making the world a better place. However, when people are born with an evil mind and a lack of empathy, or are brought up being taught that rape and hurting, killing and torturing people are all good things, they can go really, really bad. There are many people like this in your life that you know you cannot reach an orgasm at all unless there is an infliction of pain on another person or another living thing occurring in their minds. You know some people like this. You just don't know that they know, that you know, that I know, that I'm telling you. Get that? Because I didn't. No, what I'm saying is you know a lot of people like this because there's a lot of people like this in the world. You just don't know it. Did you know that there are websites, many websites dedicated mostly to women, but some men dressed in sexual outfits that have sex or masturbate while they hurt and do bad things to animals? It's called crushing. And it literally makes me want to give up on the entire fucking human race. But I won't. Because I realize it's a very, very big rarity. But still, it does exist in other websites like this. And it is absolutely disgusting. And anyone caught doing this shit should be beaten and raped till they die a painful and bloody, brutal death. Because... If you watch this, or watch, if you listen to this show, you know my view on animals and how much I love them very, very much. Either way, sex is an enigma, a huge enigma, extremely. This need and will to exert power and procreate at any cost among many of us, and it's not going to go away anytime soon, in the next 100,000 years anyway, unless of course we as the human race just go away. Think about it for a second. You ever been in a hustler store, adult bookstore, anywhere that sells dildos and sexual stuff? Think about it. What do you see? Schoolgirl dresses. What do a lot of couples do in the bedroom? Call on your husband or boyfriend, daddy? That seems quite normal, right? But is it? Is it really? Anyway, long ass rant over. I think this is the longest I've ever fucking ranted, and I I apologize about that. Some of you like when I rant. Some of you write me and tell me to shut the fuck up. I do what I want. I'm like a cat. All right, so Paul Bernardo. Again, Paul Bernardo was born in Scarborough, Ontario, which is a district in Toronto, Canada. For all of you hockey people, 
It's Maple Leaf Country. Eh? I know I said I wasn't going to say that. It just slipped. Paul, who was spawned from the sperm of Satan, spewed out of his mother's vagina on August 27th, 1964. And just a quick FYI, Paul Bernardo is still alive today in February, or actually March, of 2023. He is right now 59 years old. In August, he'll be 60. He's living a great life in Canadian prison because they have pretty good conditions in Canada. I've actually done a lot of study on the prisons over there. He is said to be a very... He was said to be a very cute kid. And allegedly, as many people have stated, Paul turned into a very, very handsome man. Which is why, spoiler alert, he and Carla, who we'll discuss soon, was monikered the Ken and Barbie Killers. So any of you that have heard about the Ken and Barbie Killers... That's who we're talking about. If you want to know what Paul looks like, you can hit up the show's IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast and see him. And of course, his evil countress, Carla. And yes, I did literally just make up that word countress. Wow. As it is fitting for Carla and her role within this episode. So kind of like that. And I do enjoy making up new bad words. The old ones are so redundant and cliche. When I get angry, I'll sometimes scream out things like Scrock! Or Scorch! Rather than fuck, because fuck is overused to the point to where it's no longer even cool to say. If you really want to be a rebel rousing outcast, try not using profanity at all. And speak in proper grammatically correct sentences then people really know you're a badass. At least they know you have a fucking brain. I'm personally not ready for that awesomeness yet. Maybe someday. I fucking hope so, we'll see. So Paul was said to be a very manipulative child. And he often did things just to see if he can get away with it. And usually he did. You see, Paul had a father that was a lot like many other serial killers had. He didn't have much time to waste on disciplining young Paul. No, Paul's worthless father was way too busy raping and molesting Paul's older sister, Deborah. And not only did Paul's father, Kenneth Walter Bernardo, just merely sexually assault and like rape Deborah. No, hell no since she was around five years old. Not at all. He did a lot more than that. He kicked it up a notch by doing these horrific acts in front of young Paul and their whole entire fucking family. You heard me right. He was fucking Paul's, literally his biological daughter and Paul's sister in front of the family, including Paul's mother, Marilyn Elizabeth Bernardo. Do I have your attention yet? That's right. He literally sexually did that in front of her own mother. 
most families at this time in the 60s and early 70s were busy watching Leave It the Beaver and Happy Days, but not the Bernardos. Not the Bernardos, no. They passed time by sitting around and watching dear old dad fuck his daughter, who, by the way, was the oldest of Paul's two other siblings. Paul was the baby. He was the youngest, which means it's likely that this type of behavior fucked him up the worst. Being that Paul witnessed this shit since he was likely able to barely talk and tie his shoes, basically witnessing this type of behavior at such a young age vindicated it. It normalized it. It was just a regular thing to him. Nothing wrong with it at all, right? Paul's father, Kenneth, was finally arrested and charged with voyeurism and pedophilia, which I never heard of anybody being charged with pedophilia. There's usually subcharges that go along with that, but that's all I can find. He was sentenced to pedophilia. Paul's father, Kenneth, served some time in prison, but unfortunately, he was never charged with the countless times that he raped his daughter, Deborah, during family hour, or hours. They didn't have commercials that dealt with this type of shit, nor did they talk to kids about this type of shit. Not in that era. It was all just, like I said, happy days, leave it the beaver, Brady Bunch. So most kids had no idea that these acts were wrong. Most victims of sexual assault back then just likely figured that it was normal and that it just happened to everyone. So why tell anybody, right? Growing up in this environment led Paul to believe that this behavior wasn't only acceptable, but that it was actually encouraged and proper. And let's not forget the battle of nature versus nurture, which in this case we have both. Now as much as any of you might not like your parents, or agree with what they are, or what they say, or what they do, you are literally half of them. 23 chromosomes from your mother, 23 from your father. So if your father is a piece of shit rapist, you are more likely to be a rapist than say someone who has a father that isn't. Does that mean that you're destined to be a rapist? Not at all, not even close. It just means that you are literally made up of half of a DNA, half of his DNA rather, and that DNA comes from a rapist. And that's just life. You can't do anything about it. It's just like if you have a father that has a small nose or a big nose, you're likely gonna, you know, get one or the other. Well, unless you invent a time machine and go back to the past where you get your mother pregnant and then come back and wait, no, that won't work either. <sighs> I don't know what you could do. Yeah, it's just life. You can't be your own son. That would be incestuous and at the least considered a form of cloning. And even if you could, you'd still have to have some DNA from somewhere that's probably going to be originated from a rapist. So, yeah, we're all apples and we don't fall far from the tree, unfortunately. So as a teenager, Paul finds solitude in drinking large amounts of alcohol daily and allegedly, allegedly raping girls that he dates in high school regularly. Studies conclude that during the era of the 60s and 70s and 80s, many women lost their virginity to older men 
that they went on dates with. Because men almost always got away with this shit. And it was pretty common and normal. So common and normal that even if others knew about it, they wouldn't say anything. Things in this era, talking about now in 2023, are finally starting to change, thankfully. Women are able to lose their virginity to people that they love and date a lot more than they were able to do in the past. Now, men got away with this shit a lot more back then because even the police didn't do much. If anything, even when it was reported, in fact, even if a woman went to the police station with a fucking video of them being raped, a good defense attorney would pick the poor victim apart and say that she was just acting out a rape fantasy or some shit like that. And whether whether or not you choose to believe that, many women, and I guess you could just say people, actually do have rape fantasies. And they do roleplay them very, very often. Some of you out there are probably getting hard and wet right now just with me talking about it. Sex in itself is an enigma. We know very little about it. At least the psychological aspect of it. Sure, we know the physical aspects of sex, what goes on in the human brain while sex acts, including masturbation, are two way different entities. If you could only see what is going on in your partner's head when they came, I mean, even mine, damn. Especially if you're on good drugs, the possibilities are endless and usually disgusting if you put it in normal logical terms. The human body, when horny, would rather have sex than food or anything else. When horny, all rational thoughts and decisions kind of just go out the window. Or winder, if you're from the south. Females are harder to turn on than their male counterparts, which is why they usually seem more rational, more moral, and stable. However, once women reaches the point of being turned it on, like where they get turned on, they can very much be just as obvious to throw logical common sense out the window as a man. Anyway, we're getting way off track. So again, Paul is an alcoholic teenager. You know, doing blow and other drugs and date raping women he goes out with. And I hate the term date rape. It's all fucking rape. And it all fucks the victims up very much the same. If you are a victim of sexual assault, even if it's 40 years ago, please seek psychological help because it's still there with you. Trust me. Therapy will help you work through it. I promise you that if anything, it sure as hell ain't gonna hurt. So while all of this drinking, drugging, and raping is occurring during Paul's adolescence, his mother Marilyn drops a huge bombshell on Paul. And I mean huge. Paul finds out at the age of 16 that his real biological father isn't Kenneth, the incestuous rapist at all. But rather, Paul was conceived as a result of an extramarital affair with another man. 
So think about this. Paul grows up watching his sister and dad fuck on a regular basis. He becomes a rapist himself. And then he finds out that his mother has been keeping the secret about his father not being his real father all of his life. You want to talk about lighting the fuse of a hundred thousand sticks of dynamite. This absolutely floored Paul. There was no coming back from this. Because from this, Paul absolutely loathed women. He was already a misogynistic prick. But now, now he was a super explosive misogynistic prick on crack. And lucky for this explosive misogynistic prick, he had the charm and the looks to coax women into doing whatever he wanted. And I mean, whatever he wanted. He just needed to find the one single woman who was as evil and fucked up as he was. And soon, very soon after all of this, he did. Yeah. 
wanna see a Ferrari Ain't feeling your luxury And that was Emily with her song, Rari. She has a very unique voice. Great stuff that actually has meaning. Remember songs that had meaning? If you're listening to Emily, thank you for sending me the song. I haven't been getting too much good music sent lately. But since the last episode, I've gotten a few good songs to play for you finally. If you'd like to get your music on the show or you want to actually support the show instead of just listen to it, please log on to IG and go to music underscore murder underscore podcast and follow the page and message me with some music links or whatever if you have music. I will respond at some point, especially if I like your music. And just so you know, I only put mellow music on the show anymore. No more punk or hardcore heavy stuff. People have told me countless times to keep the vibe the same as the rest of the show. So that's what I'm trying to do. Give me a mellow song that means something. Something that makes people feel something. That's what I'm looking for. By the way, the rant in part one, that was pretty much like 10 minutes long, it all is relevant to the story, just so you know. I didn't just give a bunch of opinions to talk a bunch of shit. So if you kind of tripped on that, go ahead. It's a little trippy. I haven't really done that before because this case is very psychologically, very psychologically dysfunctional. So I try to explain a little bit to help you, the listener, get into the heads of Paul Bernardo and Carla Hromoka, so you kind of understand a little bit about what's going on in their heads while they're doing all of this horrendous stuff. Anyway, back to the show. So it's now 1981, and Paul is a 16-year-old alcoholic, drug-addicted 
rapist. After a huge fight between Paul's parents, Paul's mother Marilyn tells him that what he thought was his child rapist daddy wasn't his real biological father at all. It's kind of like that Pearl Jam song, I'm Still Alive, where Eddie Vedder sings, What you thought was your daddy was nothing but a rapist in Paul's scenario. Repulsed by this information, and repulsed is like a minimizing word, Paul began to call his mother a slut and a whore, which is likely kind of true from what I read about her. Marilyn was not, uh, she wasn't Brady Bunch mother material. Not only did she get pregnant by another man that she wasn't married to, but she also let the man that she was married to literally fuck her own daughter in front of her and her whole family. When Paul called this, when he called his mother these names, she reciprocated by calling him a bastard from hell. This sealed the deal. Paul was literally going to destroy and fuck up everyone's life that he possibly could. He had a vendetta, a major vendetta with women. And he was going to also play the keyboard and write horrible songs, which I have to throw in there because after all, this is music and murder, right? Paul's first actual girlfriend in high school left him for one of his good friends. Not just some dude he hung out with, one of his good friends. And being that Paul was just a pretty boy little bitch, he did nothing to his friend, but he did take all of his ex-girlfriend's things and catch them on fire, kind of like a country song that I heard called Wasted on You. The words are like, like the parlor, your stuff that's packed up in the back, right down to the flame of this match, wasted on you. Anywho. I wrote that fucking song, motherfucker. Fuck off, Joe. You never wrote that song or any song in your life, you hillbilly, milly, vanilly motherfucker. Hey, that rhymes. Look at me. I'm a poet over here. So Paul began to document his fantasies. First, he was obsessed with catching things on fire, which is called pyromania. Kind of like Def Leppard's third record that sold over 10 million copies, which was about half as much as the 20 million that they sold with their follow-up Hysteria. Both were certified diamond records. Now, secondly, Paul was also obsessed with not only raping women, but he was also obsessed with raping young women like young teenage women not talking five six years old or anything but you know 13 14 and his biggest fantasy of all his biggest fantasy of all was raping young virgins which psychologically speaking psychologically speaking likely meant that paul was not very good at sex 
or he had a really small dick. I'm not sure if he had a lifted truck, but that is a possibility. The act of being obsessed with virgins tells me that either way, Paul did not want to be judged for his sexual performance. He wanted to fuck girls that wouldn't be able to decipher if he was good in bed or not. There is likely a correlation with inflicting pain on women as well, because let's not forget, Paul hates women, and that manifested exclusively from his mother, and probably him just being born a fucking cock anyway, so... However, just to be clear, not all people who hate their mothers, such as myself included, are misogynistic. And honestly, I don't hate my mother. I just don't get along with her. She's kind of worthless. Um, but most all misogynistic people do hate their mothers. Again, not everybody that hates their mother is misogynistic, but most all misogynistic people do hate their mothers. There may be some rare exceptions, but for the most part, yeah, misogynistic people hate their mothers. And every other person with a vagina for that matter. And usually themselves because they came out of a vagina. But again, there are always exceptions, especially when you're talking psychologically thing, you know, psychological things. There's no concrete, black and white, this is exactly the way it is. No. That's the reason why psychologists and psychiatrists practice. They don't just conclude exactly the way things are, right? So Paul Bernardo fucking loved himself to the extent to where you could label him as a walking definition of a complete douchebag. Which, by the way, is a male that believes that they are better and more important than anybody else particularly women. Most douchebags are products of being spoiled by their parents, but again, Paul is an exception, which is why he gets his very own episode on music and murder. I gave that to him. Happy birthday, Paul, you fucking pile of shit. Now in 1982, Paul attended college at the University of Toronto, Scarborough. U-T-S-C. I can just totally hear the jingle from the school. U-T-S-C. We'll learn ya, eh? There's that A again. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Now, while he went to school there, it was very crazy because another notorious Canadian murderer, Russell Williams who I will never do an episode on, so you can look him up if you want, was coincidentally attending the same school just two academic years behind him. I tell you, we don't hear a lot in the States because we have all our own murderers to like deal with and worry about, but Canada's fucked up, eh? It's like literally fucked up. They have a lot of murderers over there. A lot of murders, a lot of murderers, one of these days we'll get into the Willie Picton story, which is fucking just awful. Pig farmer, like, uh, yeah, I think he had 49 confirmed kills, uh, crazy. And the bad thing about Canada is they do a lot of research and they have great prisons and this and that, but their police officers seem very 
incompetent when it comes to catching people. So it's really kind of a mixed bag. The Canadian Mounties are just, yeah, they, they rub me wrong when I read a lot of Canada stories. I'm like, wow, you guys are fucking horrible. But that's neither here nor there. No, it kind of is because this story is in Canada. Again, that was Russell Williams that went to school, the same school as Paul Bernardo, who is convicted of two murders. I tell you, I tell you, to reiterate, the more that I study Canadian murders, the more I realize that Canada is just a nickelback rush and a bunch of hosers with lifted trucks wanting to kill everything that moves and mooses because mooses are pretty cool. I think it's just moose, but we'll call it mooses on this show because I could do that. I used to drink Moosehead beer when I was young. Used to love that shit. So of course, Paul did eventually graduate and then as soon as school was done, he stayed busy drinking and picking up women to what? What did he do with these women? Oh yeah, he fucking raped them. First he drugged them, then he raped them. Okay, so after Paul graduated college, he began working as a pyramid scheming salesman in Amway. You know, we all know one person that was in the first modern pyramid scheme to ever exist. Hey, you're gonna buy it anyway, was their sales pitch. Amway was literally a bunch of cocksuckers that was lying, cheating, and stealing money from honest people who had no clue that they were being fucked in the ass. My apologies if you were into such things as that dumbass shit. God knows I had a few good friends involved in that shady shit that right now they're probably getting ready to text me. But I really don't give a fuck because Amway was a scheme. I have more respect for crack dealers, honestly. At least usually the product is real and you get what you pay for. I know, I'm smoking it right now. Amway people were like, sell our BS products that are just real products cut in half. If you didn't know that, now you do. Amway literally bought good products, cut that shit in half like the dollar store does, and sold it barely barely under regular prices, thus burning everyone that ever bought it. And then they made people that signed up burn everybody that they knew as well. Kinda like Genki on the NW song Dope Man. Cut that shit, yo. Cut that shit. Genki's got the fake but you can get the real from the dope man. But Amway did one they, they did have one thing that they knew how to do, and that was market and deceive almost everyone. If they were a religion, they'd be as good as Scientology. Tom Cruise would probably be selling Amway, who the fuck knows. Amway's tangled and twisted web caught the attention of people. Caught the attention of people who were infatuated with money and either full-blown or borderline psychopaths who wanted, what, to be rich at any cost, fucking anybody over. People such as Paul Bernardo. 
You see, Paul most definitely wanted to get rich because virgin farms aren't cheap. Thus, if he was ever going to start a farm raising virgin women, as he jerked off to and thought of every single day, he had to have a lot of money, right? Unfortunately, like 99.9% of everyone clueless enough to get into Amway, he never made any fucking money for anyone other than the few cocksuckers that started the company. What were they called? Like diamonds or some stupid shit like that? Who the fuck cares? Thank God it's over with. Paul and his colleague friends, uh, college friends, excuse me, practiced pickup techniques on young women that they met in bars and were fairly successful. Paul absolutely loved to humiliate his dates in public and frequently he engaged in aggressive anal intercourse in front of his friends, just like his stepdad taught him to do. So if you could image the, imagine this, like get the image of this, he would bring women home with his friends from bars and they would drug them and he would literally stick his dick in their ass, shame them, a lot of times probably record it because Paul was very big at recording things and he would do this to show all of his friends that he was a real badass drugging a poor innocent woman and sodomizing her so not only was he a piece of shit but he had a circle of piece of shits around him too because if a guy ever did that around me I probably would have fucking hit him with a 2 by 4 it's just insanity now, his relationships became increasingly violent and unstable, which is a real surprise, right? And he threatened his partners with death threats all the time. If they ever disclosed the abuse or anything like that, he just went nuts. And I actually heard in 1986, uh, phone calls from 1986 with Bernardo actually, actually threatening these women like with death threats and stuff like that and he was also served with multiple restraining orders right around 1986-1987 by two separate women at least there might even have been more but I found two for sure that I actually saw the restraining orders and they were for threats not only threats but death threats and these women did not know each other so it wasn't a conspiracy he was just that guy, right? Now finally we, we come to the most relevant part of this whole episode. Of this whole four hour long episode. In October of 1987. Right before Halloween in October of 1987. 39 years ago. So if you remember 87, yeah, you probably up there a little bit. I really don't, and I'm pretty up there, so. So 39 years ago, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka finally meet. Thunder boomed, waves crashed, and the devil chuckled delightfully as he fist-pumped his little red arms into the air. The two met while Carla was visiting Scarborough to attend a pet store conference of all things a pet store conference 
because she was going to be a vet. Obviously, the two shared an immediate attraction, and from the very first time that they kissed, they later fucked that same day, and instantly Carla encouraged Bernardo's brutal sexual sadism to come out in full force. Now, it was said in a couple things that I read that was supposedly excerpts from actual, actually Carla saying what happened. It was said that during their first sexual encounter, which happened on the first night that they met, like I said, they literally had rough anal sex and Carla basically told Paul to rape her while they were fucking. So what did this do? Immediately, this was not a girl that Paul wanted to humiliate. This is what he had been looking for. If you remember the end of part one, I ended with, he just needed to find that one, that one girl that would encourage him to hurt and choke her. Because that would be the girl that would encourage him to choke and rape and hurt others. And I'm not making this up. Read the books. It is the love story from hell, if you have any doubts. And with that, we will be right back after the song about Paul and Carla that I wrote. And yes, it is literally about Paul and Carla. I recorded and released this on my Paper Doll album in 2009 which is the only live song on that CD, and it's not recorded too well, so don't hold it against me if it doesn't sound like something that was produced in the modern day, because not only is it 14 years old, but it was recorded live. And literally, since then, I've done about 50 newer songs that I've released, and I think that this is still one of my favorites, but I don't do it live or anything because it's too weird. It's for, it's for a podcast about murder and music, you know? This, again, is the song I wrote about Paul and Carla in 2006 is when I wrote it, released in 2009. It is called Goodbye. So this is not Goodbye. This is just a song called Goodbye. I will be right back. This one's called Goodbye. Their love was like a fairy tale The kind you only read in books And he became so bored and stale He needed more than just her looks Sucking out your life She said I never felt so much alive He said the girl that you were is dead She said tell me I'm the only one He looked her in the eye and said goodbye 
Cause they fiend for more variety And she's addicted to his pleasure And all his notoriety And one by one by one They torture so sadistically They laugh aloud and have their fun Coming in the ecstasy She says, baby, have your way with me He said, I'll treat you like a sacrifice She said, hold me close and watch me bleed He said, I'm slowly sucking out your life She said, I never felt so much alive He said, the girl that you were is dead She said, tell me I'm the only one He looked her in the eye and said So that was Michael D. Keeney with his song, Goodbye. It is unreleased online, but you can message me on IG if you would like a copy of it. I hear he has a podcast of sorts, but it probably sucks. I wouldn't check it out. So when we left off, it was October of 1987, and Satan was dancing around the pale light of the moon because Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka had finally met. Satan definitely was hoping that this day would come. I would say that he was even praying, but I don't think Satan prays. Unless it's like to himself or maybe Paul Bernardo. Hmm. Now, Paul and Carla had incredibly brutal sex in every orifice that Carla had available. And that came with the whole package, meaning complete with choking and all of the other accessories that come along with brutal sadomasochistic sex. And they supposedly, supposedly fell in love if they knew what the fuck that was. Well, we could safely say that Paul fell more in love with himself because he really loved himself, as I reiterated before. And Carla fell in love with Paul as well. At least they agreed on something, right? Paul was the illest motherfucker from here to somewhere far away from Canada. 
or as they say in Mexico, Canada. Just a little joke to make you think I might be racist so I could sell more records. I mean, that's our world these days, right? Division and hatred. Such a shame. But no, sorry to disappoint. I'm not a fucking racist or a sexist or a homophobe. I'm just some dude that doesn't give two fucks about what anyone thinks. But I would give one. Maybe. Probably not, though. But that's just why most of you sickos like to listen to me. Because you know I'm insane. But I do make a little sense sometimes. And I'm just barely not broke enough to be considered eccentric instead of just insane. Which means a lot to me. I'd rather, really rather be eccentric than insane even though they mean the same fucking thing. So after Paul and Carla meet, they pretty much never ever leave each other's side. Except when Carla leaves every now and then because Paul beats the fuck out of her and rapes her. And that's just her side of the story, right? We don't know exactly what happened. Now, just some background on Carla really fast. If I were to give you this information as it would be portrayed in a dating app, I'd say, Hi, I'm Carla Leanne Homoka. I'm into long walks on the beach, raping and killing young girls, and acting like it was all done under duress, and none of it was ever my fault. And I wasn't to blame at all. In fact, I'm just as much as a victim as all those poor young girls that I raped and killed, including my own baby sister. Oh shit, I wasn't supposed to say that yet. Again, strike that from my testimony. Now, Carla Leanne Homoka was born on May 4th, 1970. And she is now also known as Carla Teal and Leanne Teal. There was a fourth name that she was trying to change her name to, but the country that she now lives in refused her motion to have it changed. And we will get into all of that later in part two. Carla wanted to be a veterinary, but instead, she just turned into a serial killing rapist. Which I think she took a pay cut, a little pay cut to follow her passion. I mean, money isn't everything, right? Carla graduated from Queens University and had a bachelor's in psychology, like most women. Don't believe me? Conduct your own study. Take every female college graduate that you know and see what percentage have degrees in psychology. The others will likely be liberal studies, kinesiology, and nursing. But psychology will definitely rank as number one. I don't know why, but yeah, it will. When she was tested for psychopathy, which is a test that is administered usually to convicts, especially in Canada, and especially when it deals with parole or release, she only scored 5 out of 40, which means that she either isn't actually a psychopath or that her psychology degree actually did her some good as far as being able to cheat on the Canadian polygraph system. Which, believe it or not, is in my eyes better than ours here in America. I am pro-death penalty, 
so I'm not into every aspect of Canadian jurisprudence, but I will reiterate that they are more sophisticated in many of their legal policies, especially when it comes to sex offenders, at least in my unhumble and egotistical opinion. Now, when Paul and Carla began dating, Paul immediately told Carla that he was into raping and killing women. And Carla not only was okay with this, but Carla also wanted to participate, and she encouraged this behavior. Shortly after this conversation, as I explained in my air quote rant in part one, they raped a few women together, and please keep in mind that this particular part of the story as any part where I'm going off of their books and interviews is completely hearsay and not factual. We can only go off of what they tell us in many parts of this story. The only factual evidence in this case consists of restraining orders, name changes, the videotape evidence when it was available, and of course, corpses and body parts that were recovered. I just want to make sure that you all realize that much of this case, much of it, is not factual. However, it is likely, and there were other police reports and other stuff that we will get into during part two, that even those reports are still based off of hearsay and not ironclad evidence. I come from the land of, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit because I've seen too many people get locked away for decades that were later exonerated. With that being said, the glove did not fit, and OJ is now in hell where he belongs for being the murderer that he was. He just wasn't wearing that particular glove. Follow me? Yeah, there are exceptions. Moving on. Now, shortly after these unconfirmed rapes happened... Paul told Carla that he wanted to actually drug and rape her 15-year-old sister, Tammy. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Just really take a second and literally focus on what I am saying right now. Carla's boyfriend is explaining to her that he wanted to drug, rape, and take her baby sister's virginity while Carla was there. So basically, he wanted to do this all with Carla right next to him. And of course, Carla was completely 100% down with this, to the point that she began immediately letting Paul into her sister Tammy's room so he could masturbate over her while she slept. And that part of this twisted tale is pretty much 100% confirmed because both Paul and Carla stated in their confessions that this is 100% true. Carla letting Paul into her 15-year-old sister's room to masturbate over her as she slept is one of the most creepiest fucking things I've ever like witnessed. Not that I witnessed it, but, you know, happened to read about it. I just, ugh, I couldn't imagine. Okay, 
I mean, I can, but wow. Just wow. And wait, there's more. Much, much more. Carla actually loved the idea of Paul drugging and raping her 15-year-old baby sister, who was a virgin, so much that she actually told Paul that she wanted to participate and make it into a threesome. And obviously not a consensual threesome. And obviously, obviously not a conscious one either, as far as Tammy's part. According to an interview with Paul in 2007, Paul stated, and I quote, Carla loved the thought of keeping it in the family, end quote. And after the fantasy, the jerking off, the planning, and all of the anticipation, it did finally manifest into reality. Does my 10-minute rant in part one kind of make a little sense now? Especially since I've already said that a hundred times? I hope so. I hope that it actually does make a little sense. And so it begins. It begins. On December 23rd of 1990, after a Christmas party at the Homoka household, while Carla's parents and Carla's older sister Lori were all asleep, Paul and Carla made alcoholic drinks for 15-year-old Tammy Homoka laced with animal tranquilizer. Halcyon, to be perfectly clear, because remember she was uh, either a vet or she was like a vet like helper or something. I don't know. She had access to Halcyon, which isn't available to the, to the public. So they, of course, knock poor Tammy out, and of course, they rape her. They did succeed in knocking her out and raping her, and in perfect Paul Bernardo fashion, they even recorded the whole thing on video so they could masturbate to it over and over and over again. The highlight of this video being Carla holding her sister's legs open while Paul literally took this poor girl's virginity. Oh, and of course, this was after Carla performed oral sex and licked every part of her own little sister's genitals back and front, kissed her unconscious body, and licked every part of her, while Paul fucked her from behind. And I'm really sorry that I have to be so graphic, but this is what the video displays. And if I don't explain exactly what happened, what would be the reason for you sitting here listening to this podcast for all of this time, right? Like I've said a million times, the truth is the truth. And if you can't handle the truth, feel free to turn my podcast off and listen to something a little more plastic and fake. Because I don't water shit down or sugarcoat anything. This all happened. This is not part of the story that is hearsay. This is on video and factual. And Paul and Carla are fucking ghouls. Literally, the term ghoul explains what these two were. Evil, sinister, and disgusting ghouls. And you should know that. You should know about that because that's what we're here for. That's what the podcast is about. Furthermore, 
not only did Paul and Carla just drug this poor young lady, but they also used chloroform on a, on a uh, rag to put over, Car over uh, Tammy's face to make sure that she stayed knocked out just in case she woke up. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, young Tammy did stay knocked out. In fact, this poor innocent baby girl choked to death on her own vomit while her older sister and her piece of fuck boyfriend violated her in every way, shape, and form possible. All while taking her virginity. Many people that technically die for a period of time or flatline and come back from the dead state that when they do flatline, they leave their physical body and hover over or beside it. Can you just imagine, just imagine what it must have felt like to die and leave your body and witness the horrific atrocity of two people that were supposed to love and care about you raping your body. I've never encountered such psychologically evil things in my life. Like, just this act is something that fucked me up. And to fuck me up, it takes a lot. It's just absolutely disgusting. I literally have a tear coming out of my eye right now, and I'm not just saying that. It's, it is absolutely fucking horrific. And just wait. There's more to this murder. Much more. And much more to this entire evil story. Unfortunately. However, this is where we part ways and say goodbye until next week. This does wrap up episode 19 of Music and Murder. Part 2 will be available in about a week. And I do assure you, it will be something that you do need to hear. Otherwise, you just wasted a lot of your time listening to this episode for no reason. Because you're not going to know the end game. And I don't want anyone to waste their time. I graduate in June. And once I do, we will start having guests and after episode discussions again. I have several people wanting to be on the show. I just don't have time to edit it and do it, at, you know, everything right now with school and everything going on. Now here is the real song that the legendary Pantera and Damage Plan guitarist was actually playing while he was shot to death on stage by a mentally ill man. It is the second song on the Damage Plan record titled Newfound Power, and the song is titled Breathing New Life. Song number three, and the title track of the record, Newfound Power, is the song that Rolling Stone magazine stated that Dimebag Darrell was playing while he was murdered on stage. I'm very sorry for getting that information wrong, but I am placing the blame completely, 100% on Rolling Stone magazine, because they should know better than that. Unlike myself, Rolling Stone makes a fortune writing such articles. So, it was not my fault. I used them as a source. I guess I won't do that again. I wish you all a happy and beautiful March week. And remember, always remember, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. 
because they always are. Watch your back. Never ever put anything past anyone because people are good for the most part, but every single person that has been murdered never ever woke up and said, hey, I wanna be murdered today. Be safe, cautious, paranoid, at least a little, and pessimistic. Till next time, peace out, yo. Thank <laughs> you.